following audio is a recording from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. Well, welcome back, everyone. Um, tonight, we're going to, in a sixth week of our By Faith series, and we're going to touch on the first of two women whom are discussed in this passage in Hebrews chapter 11. This is Sarah, the wife of Abraham. And if Abraham is the father of our faith that we learned of last week, then Sarah is the mother of our faith. Something I've noticed as I've talked with many people on their journey of faith um, is how different people are and how different characteristics of God will turn on a light bulb for different people. And, And you may be thinking right now, you know, what was it that maybe grabbed you about God's character, about his nature, uh, was it his faithfulness, his kindness, gentleness, whatever it was, that you said, this is, when I, when I realized that God was this way, I could do nothing but give my life to him. And there was that turning point, maybe, or a light bulb that clarified what God is like for, for you. And I want to start off our evening just with this question and, and offer some, some participation on your part. And I'd like to hear in just one word, what characteristic of God have you experienced on your own that has helped you grow in your relationship with God? If there's one word, one characteristic, what would it be? Don't be shy. Faithfulness. Faithfulness. Great. What else? I hear a second. I'm sorry. Forgiveness. Great. Thank you. What else? Acceptance. What else? Those are my personal three favorite. (laughs) Some it's love, right? The love of God. That you see, you find out if God loves this way, as he tells me that he loves this way in his, in his word, and it's like nothing I've ever seen, then I can't help but trust in that. If it's his kindness, his faithfulness, his care, his, his peace that he gives me, what is that for you? You may be thinking of those things, and there's been a light bulb or a change that has happened in your life. And isn't it interesting that it's different for different people? And I may hear you say faithfulness, and I may say back, you know what? That's been a struggle of mine, to, to see God in that way. Another person might say love, and maybe because of my experiences, I would say, you know what, I, it's hard for me to see God in that way. And that's how we can encourage each other and, and, and strengthen each other and build one another up by talking about what God is like and these characteristics. And I see that there is maybe an umbrella characteristic that we're going to talk about tonight. That what it does is it pulls all of these characteristics together of God. And it makes sense in our hearts as we focus on this one thing. It's not the love of God, it's not the peace of God, but it's trusting in God. That God is a trustworthy God. And I feel that when we realize that, when we can place our trust in God, then all these other things start to make sense. And we start to look at the Bible in a different way, and we start to process who God is in a different way. You can believe somebody. You can believe in what somebody says, but if you don't trust them, you won't follow them. You won't definitely give your life to them, right? 
in any given circumstance in our lives that we face, the reaction that we have to these circumstances are going to communicate to ourselves and to God and maybe others, do we trust in God or not? And how we react to trouble, to trials, to confusion, to, to times of, of struggle, how we react to that is going to communicate if we really trust in God or not. And this is the issue that Sarah is wrestling with that we're going to look at in these passages. Can God be trusted? That's her question. And through Sarah, we see this important connection between what it means to have faith in God and what it means to trust in God. And so tonight we look at faith and trust. We're going to look at some passages in Genesis. And so if you have your Bible, would you please go to Genesis chapter 17. We'll read uh, three passages, passages, small passages in Genesis, and then we're going to skip over to Hebrews chapter 11. So let's start in Genesis chapter 17. And I'm going to start reading in verse 15. Genesis 17, verse 15. And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her. And moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, No, but your Sarah, your, your, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. Now let's go to Genesis 18. Next chapter over, starting in verse 10. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed at herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time I'll return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, No, but you did laugh. Let's go to Genesis 21. Two chapters over, starting in verse 1. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was, to, who was born to him, whom Sarah had borne him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who, wouldn't, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Now let's go to Hebrews chapter 11. Starting in verse 11. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, 
and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Will you pray with me? Jesus, thank you so much for our time together to sing praises, to reflect on your word. Thank you for giving us a woman like Sarah who has doubted, who has trusted, who has been blessed by you, and who's seen your greatness in the midst of pretty ridiculous promises. And Lord, we find ourselves in the same way today. We find ourselves in, in troubles of all kind, of times that are confusing, that are um, tempting, that are troubling, and we are prone to have unbelief in our heart. Use this time together to strengthen our, our faith, to draw us to yourself. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Shortly after, here's a little bit of my story. Um, shortly after, I came to a place in my life where I said, Jesus, my life is yours. I trust in you. And a time of confessing of my sins and repenting from a way that ran from God and turning now to a lifestyle that would trust in God and follow him. Shortly after, that time of doing that in my life led to one of the loneliest and isolated and confusing times of my life. Where I said, now God, I, I'm trusting in you, now where are you? And life seemed to fall apart. And what I had expected would happen would be, okay, I'm, I'm a Christian now, I've placed my, my life in Jesus' hands, I've trusted in him, I've asked for forgiveness, and I thought what would happen would be this, you know, a starting point, and then a straight line upward of my faith, right? Of my life would just get better and better and better, and I'd look back on my life, and, and it would just... I would just see this, this curve that was just, wasn't a curve, but just a straight line upward. And what really happened was it was more of like deep pits and at best plateaus. You know, rarely would I see this spike of, of just spiritual high or a spiritual time of, of relief and peace. It was like, okay, I, I'm going down, and then when I start to come up, I just kind of flatline. And that went on for a couple years. It was a time of, of real confusion for me. I had what, what doctors call a little bit of a trust problem. Uh, not professionally diagnosed, of, of course, but what God showed me through this time of confusion and, and isolation and loneliness and real darkness in my heart was that I did not trust him as well as I thought I did. Because really in my life I had this backup plan. Now I said, God, my life is yours, I'm trusting you, but all the while... I had a backup plan just in case it, he didn't come through. And that was myself. So just in case God failed, I was there to kind of pick up the pieces, right? Our faith becomes very fruitless when it's not rooted in a foundation of trusting in God. Like any relationship, when you trust people, your relationship with that person can never really go, when you don't trust them, it can never really go beyond a certain level of super, superficiality. And when we enter into a relationship with Christ and don't have this deep-rooted, meaningful trust in Him, you will not approach life and its circumstances by faith. You just can't. You won't. And Sarah finds herself in a similar situation. We see in Genesis a real lack of, of trust in God because of Sarah. And then in Hebrews now, we see that Sarah is commended for her faith. 
And I want to look at, okay, what happened in that middle? What happened at the beginning where we see that she's laughing at God? Because God is making ridiculous promises to her. So what we're going to see tonight is, how do you get from a place of unbelief or distrust in God to a place of solid, faithful trust in God that is abiding, that is fruitful, that is meaningful in our lives? Sarah's life, as described in God's Word, will provide us that direction, I think. And so, we're going to look at four things. Um, First is the obstacles to trusting in God. We'll look at Sarah's obstacles. We'll look at the effect of trusting in God. We will look at the foundation of trust. And then lastly, we're going to look at the fruit of trust. And then hopefully we'll find some encouragement and some application on how we can apply that to our life. And so first, let's go to what are the obstacles in trusting, to trusting in God? When God came to Sarah and made these promises to her that she would have a child, and this child would be the promised child from God that would bear fruit of, of all nations and kings would come from this child, and you wouldn't be able to count the people. It would be too innumerable. It would be more than the sand on the sea. What situation did he find her in? She laughs. And really, can you blame her? She's 90 years old. And two things had happened up to this point when God comes to her and she's 90 years old. One is a, an undisputed pattern of infertility. So even in a young age, even in an age where she could bear children, she was incapable of having children. She was infertile, we would call that today. And secondly, she's postmenopausal, And likely she's talking with her girlfriends and, and, and she's saying, I wake up in the middle of the night and I just get really hot. I don't know what's going on. They're like, oh, can't have babies anymore. <laughs> she's 90 years old. These things are happening. And because she was unable to have children, the words that God promises to her, imagine God is coming to her and making these promises. They do not encourage her. What they do is they make her discouraged. They fuel her despair. They fuel her anxiety. Like, God, I, I, you're, I'm already beat down, and now you come with these jokes and just spin me further into depression, into discouragement. It was a laugh of unbelief coming from a tired and discouraged heart. Here's what I think. Why didn't God come to Abraham and Sarah when they were 18 and 28 years old and say, we promise you a family? And they're like, so we just go have sex and that's what's going to happen. Like, yeah, just go, have fun. We're going to make a kid. It wouldn't be this crazy promise. It wouldn't be this far-fetched thing. But they weren't 18 and 28. They were 90 and 100. Is God playing games? Why, is he do, why does he do that? Wouldn't it have been just as, as likely that he could come to them when they were young and energetic and vibrant and said, I'm going to give you a family. And they're like, great. We're excited for the ride. I don't think he's playing games. And God, what we see is that God often leads people into kind of impossible situations, impossible circumstances to show that nothing is impossible with God. He does this a lot. He leads people into life that is exhausting. And he leads people into despair. I mean, these people that have trusted after him. These are Christians. These are people that that say, God, I trust in you, and then God will lead people like that, maybe yourself, into a time, a season of, of real discouragement. And it's like, God, I thought that, I thought that I'm, I'm your child, I'm one of your own, I thought you loved me, why are you doing this? I thought that you would just bless me. Why, have you, why do you mess with me like this? 
God says in 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 Genesis 18, verse 14, he asks a question to Abraham when he sees that there's laughter at this problem. And he says, is there anything too hard for the Lord? The implied answer is no. But God knows that. But now what he wants to do is he wants Sarah to know that. He wants Abraham to know that. And it takes this circumstance, this situation, this point of exhaustion, this point of being 90 and 100 years old, the point of leading them to an impossible situation to prove to them one thing. Nothing is impossible for me, and you need to know that. And I've reflected on this, and I've reflected on this for quite some time as I read stories in Scripture, and why uh, God certain times makes things difficult for people that love him and that follow him. I recall a story of a man named Gideon. You may be familiar with him. And he was a judge in, in the Bible to lead God's people. And, and he was to protect a land and a people from these warlike uh, nations. And, and, and one of the nations was Midian. And these Midianites wanted to come and just destroy uh, God's people. And God said, I'm choosing you, Gideon, and I'm going to give you an army. And you're going to go and you're going to defend my people and my land that I've given to you. And so he gives Gideon 300 people, 300 men. And the Midianites are 120,000. And to make it a little more interesting, God goes to the, the men, Gideon's men, and he takes away their swords, and he takes away their armor, and he gives them weapons. And what does he give them? He gives them trumpets. Trumpets and torches. And he says, okay, here's trumpets and torches, and there's 300, and I want you to go into this this war zone of 120,000 people strong that have armor and weapons and knives, and I, and I want you to go and, and defeat them. Gideon goes with his 300 men, and what happens? 15,000 of these 120,000 Midianites run away and survive. 105,000 are killed. And what happens is they're so confused in the middle of the night with these men coming and blowing the trumpets and the, and the torches that they just start killing each other. Why does he do that? Why does God make a seemingly impossible situation? Because he wanted to communicate to Gideon, is there anything impossible for me? And the answer is no. We look at, uh, look at Mary in the New Testament. Mary was a virgin. Okay. Lesson, is there anything too hard for God, too impossible for God? Look at Lazarus. Lazarus was dead. Why? Why did God get it to that point? So that we can learn, is there anything too hard for God? And the answer is no. Sarah is postmenopausal and infertile. Abraham, it says, is on the verge of death. Why? Because nothing is too hard for God. He does this. He, he sometimes causes life and circumstances for people that he loves to get to a point of exhaustion so that he can remove any doubt in our mind that he is able to do whatever he wants to do with us. And he does it to remove any kind of doubt, regardless of our ability. I remember as a, as a young boy and playing in the yard with my dad and my siblings, and, and, and I would throw a baseball, and I'd want them to back up really far, and I'd throw it, and I'd try to get my parents' attention, right? I'd say, Mom, Dad, watch what I can do, and I'd throw it real hard. And I'd tell them, no, keep going back, go back further. You may have like swung on the swing, and as you learn how to do that, you want to swing higher and faster. And when you do that, you want other people to look at you and say, look at what I'm capable of doing. Look at how strong I am. And if a child who is full of joy recognizes that there is something 
really mighty about them, and all they want to do is manifest and, and express this mighty thing, and they want people to look at them and say, look at what I can do. If a little child can do that, then what about the God of the universe who has made everything that exists that we see and don't see? How much more would he want to say, look at what I'm capable of doing? Look at how mighty I am. Look how strong I am. Look how powerful I am. The best thing. He says, I want to give you the best. And the best thing is not yourself. And so I need these circumstances to take you away from yourself. Where you think that you're capable of doing it. Because you can't. And I want you to know that nothing is too hard for me. Nothing. God desires that this would lead us into our next point. That when we trust, the effect of trusting as God is that we experience his strength. And this is what happens for Sarah. And so let's look at the effect of trusting in God, which is his strength. Um, someone who's helped me in my life, trusting God is someone that I admire with all my heart, someone who I trust, someone who I know trusts in God, and, and that's my wife, Janae. And don't worry, um, we talked about this a lot, and I'm not going to say anything. She didn't give me permission to already share. <clears throat> she is better than me in so many ways. <clears throat> Trusting in God is, is one of them. She's more gracious than I am, which is a second. She's more compassionate, which is a third. She is more generous, which is a fourth. And um, she's better at being on time to things, which is a fifth. And, and just altogether better looking. I could go on and on. We spoke about this topic recently, and, and she provided some really great insight. And what she saw was, as we looked at this story and, and read through this passage together, she saw a connection between three things, and, and she saw a connection between trusting in God, desiring control in her life, and experiencing God's power. And she said to me, I really didn't need to trust in God until things were out of my control. She said, when I wanted something, I worked hard and I got it. And maybe that's your story for many of you. You're very capable, you're very intelligent, you're very smart, you're very... Uh, you're very well-to-do, and when you want something, you work hard to get it. And this was her experience, where she was hard-working and fought for things on her own, and then she met me, and, and she needed to start to trust God, uh, because there was much out of her control. And she didn't need to trust God if she was doing fine. There were a couple things in our life, that in our, in our marriage, that we had to we got to a place where things were out of our control that were very, very scary for her. For her. Um, one was uh, wanting to stay at home and for me to provide for our family. And honestly, early on in our marriage, this was something that she had hoped in and trusted in, but something that I did not give her a lot of confidence in, that I would be able to provide for our family, that we wouldn't be living on the street, right? So it always goes from that, right? It always goes from... Um, the fear of, uh, worst case scenario, we're going to live in a cardboard box outside. And, and, and saying, I promise that won't happen, wasn't enough. She, I didn't give her enough to trust that I'm going to be able to take care of us. And there was a time where I was working part-time at Starbucks. And sometimes that, that's all I would do that week, was work 15 hours. During this period of time where I was a transitioning from where I, my previous job and trying to pursue God's call to work in ministry and not knowing exactly how that would turn out. And it came to a point in our life where we said, we don't know. We have no guarantee that this is actually going to work out. What do we do? 
And I came home one day with a Starbucks cup after the first day working at Starbucks, and I put it on the dresser, and she's like, we need to throw that away. What are you doing? I said, no, that's going to stay on our dresser. Because at Starbucks, so we're going to remember when God, promised, when God is faithful to us, and when, we, when, when he takes care of us, we're going to look at that and say he was there all the time. And through this time of, of a lot of confusion, that was really my shining moment, and that was it. <clears throat> Because I said that, and then I was the one in despair, and I was the one confused, and I was the one saying, this isn't going to work, you know. I was going to say, I could be an engineer or something. And she always went back to, God has called us to this. God has promised to us we can trust in Him. No matter what happens, no matter how bleak it seems, we're going to trust in Him. And even if the thing was, okay, this doesn't work out, we're still going to trust in God. We can still trust in Him. He's trustworthy. Another was being able to have kids. It was very hard for us to have kids. It took us a long time. There were a lot of nights of, of crying and a lot of nights of confusion and a lot of nights of, God, we thought this is what you wanted. Why hasn't it happened? And all the while she was there just saying, can't we trust God? Can't God do whatever he wants to do? And the answer was yes. And then we need to trust in what he's going to do. There will inevitably come times in our life when things are out of our control. And, and if you are not trusting in God, you won't have the strength to overcome those trials. Those trials will make, will, they will just swarm you and swallow you. And when those trials come, you will really realize how little you trust in God. These, those are a couple of the things in our, just in the last you know, seven years that we've had to, had to wrestle with. But look at the course of your life. There have been these times where you, God, God, opened up your heart and mind and said, look how little you trust me. And he does that. He pushes us to those points of exhaustion and frustration so that we can say, nothing is impossible for you. I can't do it alone. I asked her, I asked Janae, I said, well, what does it look like then? What, is it, what does it really look like in life when we're not trusting in God? And she just said simply, and, and you're going to want to write this down. Do you have a pen? I'm going to tweet this later. She said, when you're not trusting, you're worrying. And she's exactly right. When we're not trusting in God, we're worrying about everything. And then when we worry, we take things into our own hands. Sarah tried to control her situation. You know what Sarah does when God says, you're going to have a child. And Sarah, in her unbelief, says, there's no way. She says, I can't have children. But my servant can, Hagar. Hagar, she's great at making babies. And so she says, Hagar, come here. And then she says, Abraham, I want you to make a baby with Hagar. And what does Abraham say, the great husband that he is? Okay. Okay, honey. If that's what you want me to do, then I will do that. Right? You know, listens to his wife, right? Great guy. No, Abraham was an idiot. And Abraham is in the hall of faith that we looked at last week. A man of faith, and yet he was an idiot. And so if you're an idiot, there's, there's still hope for you. <laughs> I'm an idiot, and there's hope for me. When there is no trust, there is worry. Where there is worry, there is exhaustion. Where there is exhaustion, there is despair. And when there's despair, there are desperate acts. And this is what Sarah does. She does not trust God, and so she worries. She, in her worry, she feels exhausted. And in her exhaustion, she just feels lonely and desperate. And in her desperation, she says, I just have to do something. I have to control the situation. I have to, 
I can't see how God is going to make this right, so I'm going to make it right for him. And she makes it really, really wrong. But her faith, her faith, our Hebrew passage says, led to the power of God. And God doesn't take Sarah and say, okay, Sarah, I've seen that you've compromised, and so let's work with your compromise. God says, Sarah, you compromise, but I haven't. I still want you to know who I am. I still want you to see the promise that I've given you, and I'm still going to push you in the direction that I've called you to go. And I I do not want you to run from your problems, but I'm going to cause you to go head on to your problems. I still promise you a son through you, through Abraham, through you, not anybody else. Faith works strength in our soul where there is no strength before. And Hebrews, this Hebrews passage about Sarah says that because of her trust, because she considered that God would be faithful and her belief in him and belief in that promise, it led to experiencing the power of God to do that. Isaiah forty thirty one says, But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. True believers, true Christians, true people that believe and trust in God understand that by the power of God, we are able to do the things that are completely above our ability. When was the last time that you actually trusted in God to do something completely above your ability in life? If you set standards and set goals and set expectations of of your life that you can do on your own, then there's no need for you to trust God. But we're going to get to a point in our life where things are out of our control, where we say, I can't deal with these things. I can't deal with my sin. I've tried to be a better person, and it's not happening. I've tried to be faithful, and it's not happening. I've tried to have peace in my life. My life is in a mess. And you find yourself needing. Philippians 4, Paul says, I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. That's in Philippians 4.13. He also says in 2 Timothy 2.1, Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. His power, God's power, Jesus' power, does not, not only gives us the strength to confront our spiritual exhaustion, but the power to see us through those troubles, to see us through those exhaustions. God would celebrate, I'm sorry, Abraham would celebrate the strength of God with Isaac. And so it says that Abraham made a feast when Isaac was done weaning. And that means that he, when he was you know, done with milk and he was ready for food. And it said that when that time came, when, when Isaac was at an age where he didn't need milk anymore, but he was ready to eat solid food, God had, Abraham had a feast and he made a feast and he celebrated God's faithfulness. He didn't do this when, when Isaac was born. He didn't do this when he circumcised Isaac. He did this later when he had weaned off of milk. Why? Because he was celebrating the faithfulness of God through a period of time. Because just because you have a child doesn't mean that child is going to grow into adulthood. There is such a vulnerable and dangerous stage. And and even now, today, and, and even so much more then. Like, okay, we have this baby. But is God going to remain faithful to us? To grow him, to give him strength, to make him into a man? And it did. He did. And so Abraham celebrated that. He celebrated that God not only gives us the strength to confront our struggle, he gives us the strength to see us through those struggles. And so I want you to look at your life and say, okay, the power of God that you rest in as you trust in him isn't just going to get you 
get the problem taken care of, it's going to see you through it, no matter how long it takes. And this is what I see as a, a very nurturing attitude, a very nurturing characteristic that God has. You know, we talk about God's strength a lot. And, and picture with me, what do you think about when you think of God's strength, His power? You may see something strong. You may see a hand with maybe a weapon in it. You may see a shield. You may see something bronze or, or stone or something iron, something that is fortified. You see God, is, that is His strength. But yet there is a strength of God that is also very tender and nurturing and gentle. Is it wrong to use that word tender when talking about God? You know, the prophet Isaiah describes God as one who speaks tenderly to his children. Isaiah 40, one of my favorite chapters in all of Scripture, it talks about God in this way, that it says that God tends to his flock like a careful shepherd who gathers baby lambs in his arms. And when these baby lambs are sick and exhausted, he grabs those baby lambs and he holds them tight to his chest the scripture says he holds them to his bosom. That God, you see these, this God with these strong hands grabbing onto the children that he loves and holding them gently and saying, I understand what you're going through. I understand your pain and your exhaustion and I love you and I'm going to see you through and you can trust me and I'm trustworthy and I'm kind and I'm strong and where you are weak, that's where I will see you through. He's tender, he's nurturing. He's also mighty, and He cares for you. Let's look at Sarah's faith again in Hebrews chapter 11. It says this in 11.11, She considered Him faithful who had promised. And this is our third point. The foundation of trust is God Himself. The question is not, does, does, do you trust in what God says to you? The question is that I have for you is, do you trust in God Himself? And I think a lot of times we can think about, do you trust in that He will bless you? And do you trust in those blessings? But the real question is, do you trust in God Himself as a source of those blessings? Consider Sarah. She dwelt on the promise of God, and it seemed altogether impossible. But when she took her thoughts off those secondary things, off of the promise, and took her thoughts off of the thing that she would grasp in Isaac, she was able to fix her trust on God Himself. And that's when the difficulties no longer seemed impossible. Famous theologian and Puritan John Owen says this, When God promises things to us, the object of that faith is not in the things promised, but in God himself who promises. If we trust in God's promises without being fixed on God himself, then those promises become idols, don't they? If we say, okay, God, you've promised these things to me, and if we trust in those things, and we know we have to say to ourselves, those things need to happen, they need to come true, or my life is going to fall apart. You know what we're doing is we're not trusting in God. We're making an idol out of those things. And so Sarah didn't trust that she would have a child. Child, She trusted that God himself was going to be faithful, and he was going to do what he said he was going to do. God's blessings are always secondary. He is primary. Christ is primary. Our heart is not at rest until it finds rest in God. Not in those things, but in God himself. And let's look at our fourth and last point. The fruit that trusts in God is hope. Remember in Genesis 21, verse 6, we saw that after Sarah had had Isaac, what does she do again? 
she laughs again. She's just, she's just happy, right? She's just laughing at everything. But this is a different kind of laugh, where the first laugh was a laugh of unbelief and, and distrust. This laugh is a laugh of a laughter of the heart. It's a laugh of, of hope. Verse 20, uh, chapter 21, verse 6 says, And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in this old age. God's promises and his strength and his trust give us reason to laugh. And it gives reason for our heart to laugh and to be glad and to be full of life. God is good and he delights in showing us that he is strong and that he's willing and able to do the impossible for us. God is good at taking dead things and making them alive. He shows us that in Lazarus. He shows, shows us that with Jesus, who died for our sins and yet was risen from the dead. He shows us that in Sarah's womb, that she uses the word, she says it was dead, it was closed, and yet God opens it up and brings it life. God delights in giving life to our hearts. And he's very good at it. The path to trusting in God will never take us around our problems, but will always push us through them. And lack of trust in God is like a virus that has been given to every single one of us, and it started with Adam, when he did not trust God, and he took life into his own hands. That virus has been handed down to every single man, woman, and child, and we are prone to not believe God when he talks to us. And yet every man, woman, and child experiences except one. Except one. And that's Jesus. And that person, having lived a life in complete trust in God the Father, gives us a reason to replace our unbelief with trust in Him. Because it is Jesus who has secured and made everything, all of His promises, trustworthy for us. Trust in God then is developing through Christ an unshakable confidence in God's absolute goodness and perfect love no matter where He finds us in our experiences, no matter what we're going through. So men and women who hope in God and who trust in God are people who look away from their troubles and miseries and obstacles of life that seem to make the future very confusing, very bleak, and they focus their attention on the sovereign power and love of God. And you may have a similar story. Like Sarah. Started out unbelief, went through this trial and trouble, found a time where you're trusting in God. You may have a similar story like I did, where you trust in God and then you find yourself in just one of the loneliest and, and confusing times in your life. And there's two things, two things that you should say, those who have a relationship with Christ, and one is, you know, I found God, or, or more importantly, God has found me. So there's a time in my life where I did not know God and He made Himself known to me and now I have Him. And this relationship has now begun. And the second thing that we should say is I'm still looking. And so there's this aspect of God that I have God and He dwells in me and I trust in Him. And then there's this aspect in our life where we are still looking, that we're on this process, that we're on this journey. And it means that all Christians are still searching for how to know God more fully and to be aware of His guiding hand in our life. And there's going to be times where we are tempted to not believe Him, to not trust in Him, to not follow Him, and to take things in our own hands. 
I don't have to tell you that God doesn't make himself clear all the time. Do I? Oh, God, just, he's just so clear and just tells you exactly where he wants you to go in life. No, he doesn't do that, does he? I don't have to tell you that he can be very confusing. He's not confusing about what is required for us to know him, to be saved, and not have our sins accounted against us. And that's to trust in him and to look to Jesus and say, this is the only thing, this is the only person who could save me. He's clear about that, but he's unclear about, okay, so what does it look like in this circumstance, in this circumstance, and how do I live, and and what do you have for me, and how are you going to bless me, and how can I hope in those blessings? And so I want to leave you with these encouragements, and these just three quick encouragements. One is to invite God to work on you. Lack of trust will always say this, and maybe you've said this before in your life, and that is, don't ever put me in a position in my life where I have to be stronger than I am right now. And that's a lack of trust. And, and, and you may be that kind of person, and you may know that kind of person, you may live with that kind of person that says, don't ever, don't ever let me know of my weaknesses. Don't ever count on me to enter into an awareness of my faults and my failures. And Sarah demonstrated this with Abraham. When she realized she was incapable of doing something, she didn't want to face it, she didn't want to trust God, and so she said, I'm going to let somebody else take care of it. Hagar, Abraham, go have a really nice night. Here's a couple movie tickets. And Abraham said, I want to make you happy. I'll do it. But Abraham should have said, No, you are not trusting God, and I will not let you not trust God. But we need to trust in Him together, and we need to go forward in faith, because He who has promised to us is faithful. No, I will not go to Hagar. We're going to have a baby like Jesus, like God said we would. That's what He should have said. And so I say that so that you can invite God to work on you, where you are. Invite Him to work on you. When you see that God's working on you, celebrate those times. Trust in God is an ongoing process. And so that's just where I want you to start. Just, just tell God, okay, I invite you to work on my problems. I don't trust you in a lot of areas. And tomorrow, I'm probably still not going to trust you in a lot of areas. But invite God to work on those areas. And number two is, is dismantle your doubts. And I want you to think, are there areas of worry? Are there areas of doubts? Are there areas of control in your life that you look at and say, God, surely this is just too hard for you. Surely these things have disqualified me in some way. What do you have in your life that you are controlling, that you have seen, that you say, I can't trust God with this? Reflect on them. And don't pretend that they're not there. Don't pretend that there are areas of your life that you do not have faith in. Ask God to give you the power to endure, one, endure the recognition of those things. I mean, it is just painful just to admit that's how we are, that there's weaknesses in our life, that there's trouble, that there's areas that we need help. And two, to endure, endure through those doubts and trust in Him. What Sarah's faith teaches us is that you do not have to be perfect to trust in God. That you don't have to have a perfect faith, you only have to have a trusting faith. She really deserves to be in the hall of shame and not the hall of faith. Her and Abraham both. And guess what? So do you, so do I. We deserve to be just in the hall of shame. And she tells us and she teaches us that we do not have to be perfect in our faith, but we need to have a trusting faith. And that's what will experience the power of God. And lastly is find rest in Christ. 
And this is by far the easiest thing to forget. God told Abraham to name his son what? Name his son Isaac. And do you know what Isaac means? It means he laughs. Isn't that interesting? Why would God tell him, okay, you're laughing at me and you're laughing at my promise. Now I'm going to give you an eternal memory of what I did here. Name your son, he laughs. And in doing so, God was setting up a monument of his faithfulness, saying, I am trustworthy. Remember that time when you laughed at me, and now look at what's going on. I've seen you through. I've been with you along, and I could do anything. And God delights in reminding us of his faithfulness. Remember, he says, I want you to remember every single time that you have a doubt. I want you to look at your son Isaac. And I want you, and I want you to know that his name is, is Laughter. And you're going to be reminded that I'm trustworthy. And every single time you introduce your son to somebody, you're going to be reminded. What's his name? Oh, Laughing Boy. So how did... How, well, how, that's an interesting name. How did you come up with that? And they're going to say it's a long story. But what are they going to think right away? They're going to remember... We laughed when God said we would have a baby, and here he is. You see, God loves reminding us that he can do anything. And when we see him faithful in our life, we should be reminded that we can set our hope and our trust and our rest in Jesus because he's accomplished everything for us. He accomplished the impossible, and that was removing our sins, that we are incapable of taking care of ourselves. And he invites us into that. And I encourage you to reflect on that and to trust in Him. And don't forget that you can find rest in Christ in what He's accomplished for you. So let's pray. For more audio and information, please visit HolyCrossTucson.com.